Hallelujah. I had me a spell down front. Anybody else have a spell? They call it some places a Baptist fit. Y'all know what that is? No, you may not, but I do. I know. And I'll tell you what, that was some powerful time of praise, wasn't it? You agree with that statement this morning? Why don't you give the Lord your best hand clap of praise this morning one time? Boy, he's a good God. He's a good God. Thank you, praise team, for leading us into that place of sweetness, away from ourselves and back to our focus where it needs to be. Uh, and so tonight, or today rather, we're going to be looking at the message of that last specific song, and that being when the Lord builds the house, nobody can tear it down. If you have your Bibles, we're going to start in, in Psalm number 127. So if you go ahead and make your way there to Psalm 127. But now this morning's message is going to be a little different. How many times have you all heard that over the years? Uh, going to be a little bit different. And what I mean by that is normally we do expositional preaching, which means verse at a time, and uh, we have found that we touch the easy things, we touch the medium things, and we touch the really difficult things, and God blesses all of it because it's the full counsel of his word. Uh, this morning, we're going to do that, but there's going to be some, we're going to take a curve, we're going to take a slight detour from our main passage in Psalm 127 to look at some very important foundations in the book of Genesis, okay? And so the title of the message is Building a House That Nobody Can Tear Down. <clears throat> Building a House That Nobody Can Tear Down. I want to share a story with you before we get started in the text today. And that story comes from a, several years ago in, in my life and in specifically our lives, me and Tina. Some of you have heard this story before, but you just act like it's the first time, okay? And so a number of years ago, we went out and purchased an entertainment center, all right? And this entertainment center, um, back in those days, you guys that know back 20 years ago or more, uh, know that TVs weren't like they are today back then. 80-inch uh, TV was, you didn't even hear about that. You had to go to the movie theater to get that. Uh, so we, 50 inches were like huge. You thought those were, but they really were. It took five, six good men uh, to move them. And so when you bought a TV, no matter what the, how big it was, you had to have, if you were going to have an entertainment center, it had to, it had to be solid. And so uh, Tina and I went and picked this one out, and we got the good high-quality particle board. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Uh, press board, about that thick, you know, three times as heavy as wood. And uh, we got it. I remember her telling me at Walmart we had somebody helping us load it, and she said, now you're going to need some help at the house. And I'm thinking, I don't need no help. I'm a grown man, you know. And so uh, I didn't say it that time, but I did say it when we got home. So got home, got ready to unload it, just myself. And uh, I remember her saying, you really need to wait till you have some help. And I'm thinking, I am the help, man. What are you talking about? And so I grabbed a hold of that thing and drug it out of the back of that truck. And when I did, pulled something in my back, but I would not let her know it. You with me? Uh, and so the rest of the night, I'm kind of talking like this because my back is, well, in a bad spot. We get into the house. We start unpackaging. And I'm going to tell you something. Uh, that little small box, it was amazing. You know, it was about six foot and about that wide, but only about that thick. It had more pieces and puzzles and, and, and brackets and connectors. And, and so she reaches in as we're pulling those things out, and she hands me or she shows me. She said, oh, good. Here's the instructions, right? Now, any good man in the house knows what I said to that, don't you? I, what do you think I said? Somebody help me. <laughs> Listen to the ladies answering, right? I don't need that. I don't need that. And uh, you're, you, somebody right now is going back to a frustrating time you had this week, all right? Now, listen, we've got to move past that, okay? So I said, I don't need that. And I did say at that point, I'm a grown man, you know? And so we start getting the pieces out. And thank God she didn't throw it away. Uh, we start pulling the pieces out, putting them together. And as we put them together, uh, I got to the, what I thought was the end, but I still had three or four pieces that were about this long. And I could see, when you open the doors, you could see where they went. But they would not go. I mean, they wouldn't go. And, I, you know, I have a tendency to kind of try to make things go, you know. Anybody else in the room like that? Well, I've torn up a lot of stuff over the years that way. 
And so I'm trying, trying. And finally she says, and she, Tina has this phrase. I mean, she's like, you're going to tear it up. You know, you're going to tear it up. And so I backed off. And finally, um, I said, all right, give me the instructions. Talking about a humbling moment. Give me the instructions. And that thing was a book, you know. And she gets it. And we start looking. And I'm thinking, my goodness. And, you know, you flip one way, it's in Spanish. You flip another way, it's in French. You flip another way, it's in German. I mean, you, 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 I'm just trying to find how I can read. And finally get to the right angles and read through. And I figure out that I am on step number 26E. Now, that is because step 26 has an A, then there's a 26B, 26C. 20, y'all know what I'm talking about? I don't know why that wouldn't be 27, 28, 29, 30, but who am I to say? So I began to look, and I realized that the problem is in the series of putting it together, uh, I missed a few steps. Uh, let me say this way, a few critical steps. So I had to rewind all the way back to step number three. Now, rewinding looks like twisting those little things and breaking some stuff. And, and oh, I mean, I had to just, it, it was a painstaking night. Can I just tell you that? All these years later, I still remember. But where we were at step 26E was that I had something that looked like an entertainment center. If I was to set it up here on the stage at that point and close the doors on it, and you would say, wow, that's a really nice uh, entertainment center. Who put that together? And I'd say, me and Tina did. And so you, but what you better not do is go up to it and touch it. Because if you touch, you know, the, imagine the shape, you know, and so if you touch it, it would go woo, 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 like this, you know. And what you better not do is set a TV on it. Because I'm telling you, it's coming down and not slow, fast. So uh, the painstaking process of tearing something down to rebuild. What I want to say to you is that oftentimes when we think about our homes, our marriages, uh, single parenting home, uh, we look at how we have gone about doing things and we've made some of the same mistakes as I did about thinking we could figure it out on our own, thinking that we can look at the box top, right, do it like our parents did it, or uh, nobody has a perfect parent in the room. And, and we have all these ideas about coming to a conclusion. Here's what we end up with. We end up with something that looks like a home, a house, a marriage. In other words, uh, you have a ring on your finger, uh, maybe the same last name, Sleep under the same roof, but it is certainly not what God intends for the home to be. What I mean by that is, just like that entertainment center, marriage has a design and a function. The home, if it's a single person or a single person raising children or a grandparent raising children, a home has a design and a function, a purpose. The purpose of that entertainment center, obviously, was to hold the entertainment center. But your marriage or home has a different purpose. We'll get to that as we go along. But most of us have made the same critical error in disregarding the designer. That's what I did when I said, I don't need those. I wasn't thinking about some young man or some young woman who was highly educated, who had on a, probably a computer program designed and engineered a wonderful contraption that was going to hold my TV, right? I, wasn't, I didn't think about that, but that is, in fact, what I did. By disregarding that designer and not looking to their instructions, I had something that resembled an entertainment center, but it in fact was not an entertainment center. Some of us in here have something that resembles a home, something that resembles a marriage, something that resembles a life, and it is in fact not fulfilling the function for which God has given it to us, okay? Now, I need to start today by saying, uh, I'm going to make some of you mad today. And I wish I could do something about that, because if you know me at heart, I don't like people to be mad. I like peace. I like for us to get along. I like for us to agree. Um, but what I have learned about the Word of God is it is an absolute truth. And the problem with that is that we think we are absolute truth. We think our 
experiences validate absolute, absolute truth, and we are sadly mistaken because truth stands by itself. So we have a culture that says that's old people that think that way. We have a culture that says we're going to define it this way. And so when we have to sit down and we have to acknowledge God has given it and God has designed it, well, some of us in here just have a bad problem with that. Some of us are listening out there. I'll get this week, I can just tell you, I'll get some mean emails and messages and and, uh, and you say, no way, somebody would, yeah, I get that a lot when these, when these absolute truths come against the culture, um, you know, and, and, and I understand that. And I wish I could say it doesn't bother me, it does, because I, again, I like for us to get along. But I had to weigh that again. And my journey since surrendering to the ministry has been a weighing. In other words, some messages are easier, Brother Brian, where you, you agree with me? Some messages are easier, they just come out, man, you can't wait to get out there and rah, rah, and amen, and but other messages, you get stared at in the face like a calf looking at a new gate, right? And some, you get scowls. And it's not fun. I don't like that. But I had to weigh it. Now, I could either, I could either go ahead and, 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 and just say, you know what, we'll skip that part and make it, we'll water it down and kind of cover it up and let it be whatever. Or I could acknowledge that one day I'll stand before God and I'll give an account for whether I gave you the plumb line, whether I gave you the absolute truth, or I didn't care about you and just told you, go figure it out. Let the world tell you what to do. So, first of all, I will not dishonor the one who rescued me that way, nor will I unlovingly send you out with a pat on the back, say, think positive, everything's well, and just go on. I love you too much for that, okay? So, with that being said, some of y'all are looking like, oh boy, this is about to get rough. Uh, hang in, it really isn't, it really isn't. And so, let's, if you would, in honor of reading God's Word, would you stand to your feet with me as we read, watch this, the entire 127th Psalm, all five verses. All right, here we go. Psalm 127, beginning in verse number one. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Would you bow with me for just a moment? Father, I just want to say to you again, I am still thoroughly shocked that you keep bringing people out here in the middle of nowhere. And God, I give you all the glory and praise for it. I pray now as you've given us this time together that I would not waste these people's time, not one minute of it, but instead you would empower me by your spirit to preach this directly as you had it written and how you want it to impact our lives. Father, would you help me remove, be removed from the equation and let your spirit take control of all my faculties and all my weaknesses and frailties and put it on display before the people again. You can use anybody, anywhere, anytime because you're God. And Father, as you do that, would you tune our ears in past the voices of our own high-mindedness where we think that what we think it trumps what you say. Break us, Lord, today and help us to acknowledge you're God and we're not. And culture doesn't get the right to define the terms in which we're going to look at today. You do. So tune our ears, God. Cause us to sit on the front edge of our seat. And we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. And the people of God said, amen, amen, and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And as you're being seated, young people, look at me quickly. I need your help again because we're going to get in some technical things today. And we don't want mom and dad dozing off. Okay, so help me. Give a check, right? They can fool me because I can't tell if their eyes are open. Every once in a while, glance up, give them a little bump. Elbow works good, just not hard to the ribs. Bump them on the leg, but keep them awake, all right? The other thing is, 
I've found that you young people draw some of the greatest illustrations from the message with a pen and paper. I know you got pages when you came in to help you follow along the sermon, but I want you to do this as well. If you have, y'all are, about the young people can do this, and us older people can't do it. You can listen and, and process and draw all at the same time. So draw, today, if you think about that, process what you're hearing and draw according to what you're hearing the Word of God say about marriage, about family, about the home, okay? And so we'll go about, and I can't wait to see some of your drawings when we get through, okay? Here's the main idea of Psalm 127, 1 through 5, real quickly. Here it is, summed up in one complete sentence. Here it is. When God builds the house, nobody can tear it down. Now, you ought to have that in your heart today, right? Because didn't they, boy, they brought that song on in here and had me want to run around, but there wasn't no room on that outside rim or I would have knocked a few of y'all down coming by you. Um, because the truth remains that when the Lord builds the house, nobody can tear it down. Now, I want to ask a question as we get started, okay? And some of these things that we talk about today and we think about are going to be a little bit painful, all right? Because life is painful and we're living in a fallen world full of fallen people. So when I, when I ask you about the fallen house, the house that's been torn down, do you understand some of the principles that I'm looking toward? I'm talking about uh, maybe uh, an affair. Uh, maybe I'm talking about, uh, maybe I'm also talking about uh, divorce, uh, maybe I'm talking about, um, well, there's a lot of different scenarios, but, but you understand what I'm, what I'm getting at when I say the house being torn down, okay? So my question for the group is, I'm going to see if you guys will be honest, is the 830 crowd. How many of you have either been a part of that relationship, it was your parents, or it was your marriage, your home, your single life? You've been a part of some home that did not sustain the glory of God and stay together and glory. Raise your hand if that's, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. And so today, we can all relate to what happens when a, a home is torn down, right? And how painful that is. Um, but at the same time, I want you to, to say to you up front, there is grace to be found no matter whether it happened to you as a child or it happened through you as an adult. I want to tell you today that there is hope to be found in Jesus for a major rebuilding project, amen? And he can do it. How do you know? Because I've lived it, all right? So... Psalm 127, rewinding back to the beginning here, God builds the house, uh, nobody can tear it down. I told you we're going to take a detour as we get started. So if you have your, if your Bible's in your hand or if you've got it turned on, will you join me in the beginning right back in the book of Genesis, uh, chapter one, 2 specifically, but we're also going to look at chapter 1 in just a minute, okay? What we're going to start, what, listen to that sound. Sound like Christmas gifts getting opened up, doesn't it? What a beautiful thing. Uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to answer two questions before we dive into what I want to point out from Psalm 127, okay? The first question, and I think these are logical, right? You guys appreciate logical questions that help you build and think through what you're hearing. See, God doesn't want you to check your brain in at the door, but to bring it with you when you come and as we study the Word together. So first question is simply this. How does the Lord build the house? How does he? If we, if we determine when he does that it's able to sustain the storms and the, and the trials and the attacks of the enemy and all the fallen brokenness, uh, right, of the world, how does he do it? How does God build the house? And we're going to talk about it in two aspects. So we're going to answer this question two ways. Number one, number two. All right, here they are. Number one, how does God, uh, how does the Lord uh, build the house? Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 to 24. How originally, how did God in his infinite wisdom, designed to build the home, okay? Now, let me give you this quickly. Genesis chapter 1 
talks about marriage and the home and its quickness, or it's quick. Chapter 2 slows down, gives us some details. Does that make sense? Sometimes you're reading through chapter 1, then you're reading through chapter 2, and you think, wait a minute, did I just read that? Except that he gives more details in chapter 2, a slow down recount of what's going on, all right? So, uh, how does the Lord build the house? Write this down in your notes. Number one, under that question, he does it through marriage. He does it through marriage, okay? Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse number 24. Are you there? Somebody, actually, I'm going to go 21, verse 21. So, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and Adam slept. And he took one of his own ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Now, let's just talk for a minute about what's happened so far. God has created everything that is created. And he's walking through a day at a time, creating and speaking into existence those things, and Oh, it's amazing how he's created and made and fashioned. And then he makes the crowning achievement of his creation, and that is Adam. And at the beginning, as you watch through it, he takes a fresh pile of earth, and he fashions Adam from the earth. And what you'll find that chemistry has proven is that 99.95% of the chemical compounds found out in that dirt is found in your body. Why? Because God's always right. And he fashioned Adam. Now, you can see him there, right? He's uh, 10 minutes old, 10 minutes old, but he's a full-grown man. And yet, at the time, his time clock has not even began because God yet has yet to breathe into his body a spirit, a living being. So there he is with all the awesome systems, and I'm trying not to preach on the body. Y'all know I get hung up on the eyeball and all the systems of the body. Oh, man, I'm trying to keep myself from doing a science lesson because the body just absolutely leaves me in awe. But there he is. All the systems are complete. Everything Adam needs for life, homeostasis in his body is there. But he's not yet a living being. And then God breathes the breath of life. Theonustos, the breath of God. And Adam, for the first time, comes alive. And he's looking around. Don't you know that he's processing and learning and developing what's going on around me and who am I and who are you? And he's talking and God's talking to him. And, and then he sees a parade of the animals, you know, and he's naming these animals as this time is unfolding. And, and God so far has said about everything in the creation account that it is good. This happened, God did this, and he saw it was good. This happened, this happened, this happened. At the end of the day, God looked and he said, this is good. Until something happened. We don't know what. But God said, here's the thing. First thing he ever said was not good. Are you ready? Leaving a man by himself. Any ladies in the room wave me in that? So he said, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I always ask myself, I wonder what in the world that rascal was doing. And God said, I've got to do something about that. I've got to create him a helpmate, somebody to help him because he needs help. And what he does, instead of creating from a fresh pile of earth a new body, he says, I'm going to take part of him and make a helper that's comparable to him that will help him along the journey. And God did that. And God took that rib and he fashioned the woman from that rib. And then he brings her in front of Adam. And let's see what Adam, can, can you just see the end of verse 22 says he brought him. Can you see God bringing her? Like I've got this gift for you, Adam. She's going to help you. Because I can't leave you by yourself. And he's bringing her. What a beautiful picture of a marriage, huh? Of the father bringing a bride down. Oh, somebody just for the first time picked up on that. And here's the father bringing the bride the, the, to the groom. And, ooh, my goodness, somebody just got chills on that one, didn't you? And so he's coming down, and, he, and in verse number 23, and Adam responds. Here's what he says. Now, uh, notice in verse 22, she has a term for woman, right? Isha, it's, it's the Hebrew for woman, female. 
And, and the Ad, Adam says, but now you say, well, how did he know that before verse 23? Well, remember, this was written after it took place. So, uh, verse 23, Adam says, this is now bone of my bone. She's like me. Flesh of my flesh. She's just like me. We, 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 we get along. She shall be called, whoa, man. Because, y'all got that, didn't you? Because she was taken out of man. Adam's origins were the earth. Eve's origins were Adam. And God did that on purpose and in, with intent and design. Verse 24, therefore, here's what marriage Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, that unit, okay, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become, somebody help me, one flesh. Two shall become one. Only in God's economy can two be one. Two become one individual. What I want you to notice is that as God does that, he brings together, he builds the house, he builds it with a male-ish and female-ish. Notice that. Um, when he builds a marriage, and not as culture would tell you, it's not two ladies, it's not two issues, it's not two issues. And if this offends you, I can't apologize for the plumb line of God's gift called marriage. And if you want to get angry, I would encourage you, instead of getting angry, ask yourself this question, why would it make you so mad to hear the truth? Maybe because it doesn't line up with your lifestyle. Well, we all share that commonality. Anytime I hear something from the Word of God that doesn't line up with my lifestyle, my first immature response is to be angry. But as I mature and learn to walk with God, He teaches me that I need to first acknowledge, could it possibly be true, and give Him an opportunity to correct not my behavior, but my heart. So He has a male and He has a female. Now, you're going to see the picture of why in just a minute. Uh, and so He has Adam and Eve. He has male and female, and He intends to bring them together in marriage, and that's how He builds the home. Now, some of you may be saying to yourself today, well, this is a marriage message. I can't believe I came to that. could be fishing last weekend of deer season. I could be deer hunting, right? And I would say to you simply this, the home is not always a married man and a married woman, right? It's not more valuable to God to be married. No, as a matter of fact, Paul talked about that in the New Testament when he said this. He said, if a person can live without being married and still be under control of their, you know, desires, then, then it's just as good to be single because then you really have more time for the mission, Right? Um, so neither is better, they're just different. And these principles you're going to find out will apply to you. And some of you may say, well, I'm not married. Well, you may be not married yet. And it would do you very well not to let culture form and shape who it is that you're going to marry and how you're going to marry, but instead today to find yourself in humility, soaking in God's direction. So how does God build a house? Number one, he does it through marriage. Number two, he does it through salvation. So marriage, he does it with a male and a female. Write that in your notes somewhere so that you don't ever get confused about uh, what culture, see, see, culture didn't give us marriage, and government didn't get us marriage. So even the idea of voting on what God says is absolutely absurd. That the creation would try to tell the creator what he gave us and designed for us. It's absurd. It's absolute absurdity. It lines up with the high-mindedness of mankind. You see, since creation, man has thought it's the nature of Adam that we know better. God says, eat of all these trees, it's good for you. Eat of all these bushes, it's good for you. All these textures and tastes and salty and all of that's good for you. Only this one, don't. And we thought we knew better. And that's the story of mankind. Number two, salvation. Let me give you a verse. John chapter one, verse number 12. Here's what it says. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. I want you to hear that again. As many as received him. doesn't say as many of, as, as went to church. It doesn't say as many as gave their money to the poor. It says as many as received him. Do you know who him is? Would you say his name with me this morning? His name is Jesus. 
As many as received him, because we saw recently on a Wednesday night that there's no other name given unto men among men that we must be saved. So, as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. See the family? See the home? Now we have the picture. Now watch this. They're going to parallel each other. Now we have the picture of the New Testament understanding of the church being the bride of Christ and Christ being the groom. So, in fact, if you are a single person, you are in covenant relationship, maybe not with a husband, ma'am, or with a, uh, a wife, sir, but with the Lord Jesus Christ. How about that? And so he brings us into covenant relationship with himself. We are the bride of Christ. He is the groom. And Jesus bled and died so that we could be forgiven and changed and transformed. Listen, our identity from an enemy of God, how we're all born, into a child of God. You know, this morning, Miss Tammy right down here, Kyle, Kyle's mama gave her life to Christ right here. And we were talking. She walked in on the sidewalk, an enemy of God, and walked out on the same sidewalk as his precious baby girl, his daughter. And that is the good news of the gospel. And so it builds a home. The home can just be me and Jesus, right? And what a wonderful home that is. And so we learned today that the home is, but how does he build a home? He builds it with marriage. And that is through the male and the female. He does it salvation. He does it with a Savior. And the Savior has a name, and his name is Jesus. Now, the second logical question. Now, remember, this is the prelude. Y'all okay with that? Good. Here we go. Prelude, warming up. Second question I want us to logically think through. Why does the Lord build the house? In other words, what's the function? If the entertainment center had a clear, defined function of holding up the TV, what is the clear, defined function of the marriage, the home, right? Whether that be a, a single person or a married person with children, without children, what is the purpose of the home? Are y'all enjoying this as much as I am? I hope it's feeding your soul right now. And young people, I hope that you'll stamp this on your heart and it will, you won't let the government or society tell you what God says is already, this is, this is the truth right here. So why does the Lord build the house? I'm gonna answer this three ways, three particular ways. There are others, but we're gonna focus on three. Still in, and now in Genesis chapter one. So rewind just a little bit. Genesis chapter 1, I want you to pick up with me in verse number 24, okay? Genesis 1, 24. How does the Lord build the house? Marriage, male and female, salvation with the Savior, Jesus. Why does he build the house? You're going to notice they parallel each other, okay? Let me read verses 24. Y'all there, verse 24? Actually, I'm going to pick up in verse 26, okay? Come down to 26. Here's what he says. And God said, let us... Make man in our image. Notice the plurality of the personal pronoun. What does that tell us? We have a triune God. Triune meaning three, but one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Remember, I always tell you that when we're teaching on something and we have an opportunity to stop and really get some deep theology and some doctrine, we need to stop and take it in. So Trinitarian view of God is evident in the very beginning. By the way, the word Genesis means origins or beginnings. So as God began to create man, now God didn't begin, remember that, that's why he's God. But as God began to create man and develop relationship with him, we find out here in verse 26, let us, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, co-equal, all, all equal in essence, different function, same God. Now if you can figure that out, I'll give you the mic and you come up. I'm telling you, there's no illustration that can help your finite mind wrap around the triune God. But we see some pictures of it, and I'll talk a little bit more about that as we go along, especially in the family, all right? So God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let him, let them rather, 
Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over all the creeping things that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, all right? So in verse 26, the first part, I want you to write down, why does the Lord build a house? Number one, to bear his image. To bear his image. You see, God has chosen to allow us to be image bearers here on the earth. When I say us, I'm talking about Born again. By the way, y'all never be married unless you're born again. How in the world are you going to do something that is designed and given by God if you don't believe in God or you're not following God? I'll tell you what will happen. It will be absolute mess. How do you know that? Because I believed in him and didn't do it his way, and, boy, we made a train wreck of things. And so when we think about today, we think about what it means to bear his image. So he's put man and female together uh, because when a man, and listen to this now, some of y'all don't laugh. When a man and a woman can get along together and do things together for the same common good, it's a definite pointing to there's got to be somebody else besides those two making it happen. Now, don't laugh. Amen. You're supposed to amen right there. Uh, Because the complexity of marriage, male and female, when it's done in unity and it's done in a way that's pleasing and together, there's nothing a person can do but scratch their head. And there's a testimony to say we are only able to do it because of the Christ that's in us. It's a, it's a gospel presentation. It's a, it's a clarifier for the world as they watch husband and wife or, or man or woman. As they watch our lives, they're able to begin to understand what God is like and his character and his nature by viewing us. And especially when a man and a woman come together and do it together, it's an awesome opportunity to bear the image of God in the world. Number two, to have dominion. To have dominion. What is the purpose? Why does the Lord build a house? In other words, why are you, why are you, why do you have a home? Why are you married? Why do you have a marriage? First, to bear his image. Two, to have dominion. Now, physically here, he's speaking about mankind having dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the cattle. And what he's saying is we are a representation of him being over all creation. You see that? He's over all creation. He spoke everything into being. It all belongs to him. And he put us down here on the earth and now allow us to be the representation, his image bearer. And part of that image is that God is over all the creation. It's why the lions don't tell us what to do, even though they're three times our strength, ten times our strength. You see there? It's a display to the world that, again, God is over all of creation. But now let me share with you this parallel. In the Christian life, in the single life, in the life of someone who's following Jesus, again, when we come to faith in Jesus, we are his image bearers. But also, we have dominion. You say, over what? Over the sin that so easily ensnares us. And so now, it's not the big picture. It's not that we, you know, tell uh, uh, the animals what to do. But it is that sin no longer tells us what to do. It is that the Jesus, the Christ, as he bled and died and rose again, and then I invited him to come be Lord, it means that I don't have to be the same slave to sin I used to be. You see the parallel between the two? I wish y'all smile with me. I know this is some heavy stuff, but just hang on. It gets better. So we understand that there's the purpose of the house is to bear his image, to have dominion. And then number three, number three is found in verse 27 and 28 of Genesis 1. Here's what it is. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Uh Uh-oh, listen to this. Male and female. That's how he created him. He created mankind, a human race, with two genders. To those genders, we've assigned pronouns. They fit perfectly with the right gender. There are not three genders. One gender is not the other gender. They're clearly defined by biological markers and other things. And they are so simple that a little child can understand them. 
God has designed in biology a male, complete with certain things. Uh, he has also created the female, complete with distinctly different things. Somebody, there's a little place for amen right there. Distinctly different. Male and female, distinctly different. Some of y'all that's settling in on you. When we, for a moment, consider the simplicity of that, it's hard to imagine we could get that mixed up. I mean, I mean, honestly. Now, might I say to you that when I went to Mississippi College to play football, my major was psychology. And in our textbooks, we were taught about uh, gender confusion, some personality disorders, because our minds can get confused on things. And we learned how to counsel those and how to treat those as any other confusion that the mind can take on. And interestingly enough, you can't find those textbooks now. Because, young people, there's a concerted, focused attack to change how you think and therefore how you live. Because if you can destroy the home, if you can destroy your idea of what God says is the home, well, I'm just telling you, life is very, very difficult to try and figure out. So, here's what the government says. The government says, well, we want society to vote us back in, so we'll let society vote on that which God has already defined. How in the world would man ever find himself checking a box and a ballot to determine what God has already said? You see, what the Word says about itself is that it's not up for debate. In other words, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're not having a meeting today debating whether or not we can change the definition of what he said is marriage. They're not up there debating to say, well, you know, maybe we didn't really mean male and female. Maybe we meant something. And there's no debate. You know why? Because the Word of God says about itself, his Word is already settled in the heavens. But for generations, and by the way, it's not a new thing. It's not a new thing. It's an old thing. It has waves. It goes up and down, up and down, up and down. Man has perverted the definition and the visions of God for thousands and thousands of years. So, as we think about that, and like I said, I'm going to make several people mad today. And just know that I love you, and I'm not talking about, you know, people are, we're all, we sin, we all struggle. I'm just giving you the plumb line, as thus saith the Lord. I'm not apologizing for it because it's not mine, it's his. And again, I can't apologize for the one who reached down in the horrible pit and pulled me out of the miry clay and put my feet on the solid rock. Now, I'm a child of God. You think I'm going to feel bad about giving you the truth that can change and transform your life? Help you build a house nobody can tear down. I'm not ashamed of that, and I'm not sad about that. I'm happy. And I hope unto God you'll hear it and let it settle in your heart and transform how you've been thinking and what you've been confused about, and you'll settle in on God's design, and you'll experience the benefit thereof. Because, my friend, listen to me. There is high benefit in approaching life through God's design, high benefit. So to spread, listen to this third thing, to first to have to bear his image. Why does he build a house? To bear his image. Second, to have dominion. Third, to spread his image through reproduction. To spread his image through reproduction. Where do you find that? Verse 28, so he blessed them, and God said to them, who are we talking to? Who's them? Adam and Eve. So he blessed them, and God said to them, y'all reading with me in verse 28? First two words. Boy, we done got down in our, what's, what's wrong with y'all? Y'all are sad. Y'all aren't sad about the truth, are you? Let's try that again. I know what it was. You were, you were, all right, here we go. So God blessed them, and God said to them, hallelujah, be fruitful and multiply. And somebody has told me and Tina before, y'all took him literal when y'all had four, didn't you? Yes. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. You see that? Fill the earth. Now, what does he go back to talking about? Dominion. God is over all of creation. 
We are his representation here over all of creation. He puts a male and a female together to reproduce more of that kind that go out and expand the message that God is over all creation. Did you know, now this is going to shock some of you. Did you know that unless you have a male and a female, you cannot reproduce a humankind? Now, some of y'all are going, oh, yeah, they do it in the, in the, in the, in the laboratories. and all. Yeah, but they take something from the male, they take something from the female. If you, you See, here's the thing. Someone said one time, well, you know, uh, God, God didn't create everything. You know, what, what about this computer? I said, well, what about the components that made the computer? Right? And so can you imagine if for a moment you just put a scientist in a room and you said, all right, here you go. You got, we'll even give him his white coat. We'll do that. We'll be generous. He didn't make the white coat, but we'll give it to him. We give him or her the white coat. We put him in the room. We say, all right, now, y'all, it's a man or two men. And we'll put a desk in there. That'll be all right. Two chairs. And we'll lock the door, but we'll say, the only way you can come out of this room is if y'all two can produce a baby. Now, listen, just hang on, because we laugh and we say, that's absurd, but is it? Well, look at the nonsense we believe and listen to and have started thinking it's normal. You can't have a baby unless you have a male and a and that is God's design. It's how you build the house. You have to. Listen now, some, somebody thinking, well, I, I don't know what to think about this. You just need to think of it. If your thought's not lining up with it, you need to let your thought fall under the leadership of the authority of God's word. And let him minister to you. And listen, he doesn't hate you if you've not thought that. He doesn't hate you if you've gotten confused about that. He doesn't hate you if you've fallen into that. He doesn't hate you. He's not through with you. He loves you. He loves you so much, he brought you out here and put this knucklehead up here to tell you, here's what it says. And you can have a house that nobody can tear down. But you'll have to do it his way. His way. That's what offends us, by the way. It's not the argument about gender. It's not the argument about marriage. What offends us is we have to do it his way. Let me move on if I can. So remember quickly, in review, first question, how does the Lord build the house? Through marriage with a male and female, through salvation with the Savior. So a house can be just a man or just a woman. Yes, when they come to faith in Jesus, they're in a covenant relationship with God. Why does the Lord build the house? To bear his image. When we're born again or physically, right, to bear his image. To bear, to have dominion. To, to, to put on display that, that God, our, us as his representative are over creation. And that with Jesus in us, we can have power over sin. Third, to spread his image through reproduction. God would help us to produce. Now, some of you are thinking, now, wait a minute, now, wait a minute. If that's true, we're, we can't have children. Some of you are thinking, but wait a minute, now, we, we can't, we, we physically can't. Why would God do that? If this is true, if this is true, why would God, why, I mean, we can't, but let me just say what you can do. You can't adopt. And you may say, well, we can't afford that. Well, you come to us and we'll help you. Listen to me. We'll help you. We will help you. I promise you, we will help you. You can foster some children. I'm telling you, there are piles of children right now while we're in here gathering, worshiping, praising God, singing, if the Lord builds a house, want to run a lap, who are broken and nauseous and can't sleep and can't eat, and they just want a mom and a daddy. That's all they want. And some of you have the, here have the resources, and some of you in here have the, the space, and some of you in here have the truth to implant in them so that they are able to go and expand the mission and continue on because we're not going to be here forever. So I want you to think about that. Somebody in here, I believe this with all my heart. You've been praying about that. God's been dealing with you about it. And all of a sudden, right now, he just touched that spot and said, whoop. Okay. Okay, God. Yes, my yes is on the table. And I'm going to let the church help. And I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to dive in. We're going to figure this thing out. 
And we're going to be about adopting, bringing people into our home. All right, let me move on if I can. Now, finally, the message. Y'all ready? Wait a minute. Some guy just looked up and went, oh, my goodness. He's just getting started. Uh, I, I'm only going to make a point from Psalm 127. So will you turn there quickly, Psalm 127? And by the way, if you're looking for a church that's like really quick, you have come to the wrong place. But you'll also notice that we don't stress and frustrate, and we just want God to do what God wants to do in the little bit of time that we have, right? Amen. And thank y'all, by the way. I have pastors tell me all the time, man, they, they put a clock up here, and they ask me about this and ask me about that. You guys have never, in, in, in all, 17 and a half years, you guys have never ridiculed me about time. And I can't tell you what a gift that is to me. So thank you. Thank you for being engaged and locked in and not always watching your clock as quick as we can get away from God. Now, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Psalm 127, verse 1. Put your eyes back there. Now, the big Roman numeral 1. I told you we just dealt with some questions. Now we're going to just hit Roman numeral 1. And no, we're not going to go to Roman numeral 2, all right? We'll go to that tonight. I'm going to do Roman numeral 1. And that's it. Okay? And it's found in verse number 1. Are your eyes back on Psalm 127? Okay, let's read. Unless the Lord, y'all help me, unless the Lord, look at y'all, look at y'all, coming in strong in the fourth quarter. (laughs) Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. In verse 2, he's talking about provision, providing for the house. So first was protection, establishment of the house, protection of the house, and then provision of the house. He said it's, it's idle for you to stay up late, work yourself to death. If God's not in it, if God's not in it, you can work yourself to death, and you'll have a whole. A, a, we talked last week about having a money bag with a hole in it if God's not in it. So I want to just go back to verse 1 and just make this statement, okay? What he builds, he sustains. Would you write that? I'm going to tell you three ways that he's given us to sustain the house. Okay, while you're writing, we're going to talk. Is that okay? Because some of y'all looking hungry, I want to get you out of here. I don't want you to pass out before you get some food in you. All right, here's two things at once. You're writing what he builds, he sustains, all right? And so would you, would you agree with me that when you raised your hand thinking about broken homes, broken lives, broken things in the past, would you agree with me if someone said to you, here, I'm going to give you something that will help you sustain to keep from being in that situation, would you take it? Would you seize a hold of it from the pain of my past? If I could have had that in my childhood, man, I would have grabbed a hold to it. And, um, so, so let's just for a second think about the provision of God in three particular ways, all right? So what he builds, he sustains. How does God sustain it? Another question. If God builds the house, are there still storms? If uh, God builds the house, is there still an adversary that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy? Yeah. So I'm not peddling to you today. If you'll let him build the house, oh, you'll be like a, a bed of roses, man, lollipops and gumdrops. What I'm saying to you is that when those same attacks happen, you'll be sustained. Now, let's talk for a minute. How does he do that? Number one, number one, the provision of his spirit. The provision of God's spirit. Given to all who believe. Colossians 1 tells us, when you believed, you received and were sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. The provision of God's Holy Spirit. Listen to John, uh, Jesus in the gospel according to John talking about the Holy Spirit, all right? Listen, as you write, provision of the Holy Spirit. Listen as I read, John 14, 26. Jesus said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit. Now, by the way, we need, and you need to write this somewhere in all capital letters, we need help. We, listen to me, we need help 
And I'm going to say, to this context, we need help sustaining the house. Now, as a young man, I didn't think so. I thought, you know, all I got to do is work hard and play hard. And boy, that blew up in my face. The Lord, when the Lord builds the house, nobody can tear it down. He sustains it. How does he do it? With the help of his Holy Spirit. I, w- I want you to know that the Holy Spirit of God is the greatest gift of salvation you and I get. We get the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God to come live in us, to guide us. Listen to what Jesus said. Whom the Father's going to send in my name. He's going to teach you things. Oh, I need to be taught. Anybody else in the room? I need the Holy Spirit to teach me because I'm still learning. All of us are still learning. Listen to me when I tell you this. You ready? None of us are there yet. Not the guy bringing the message, not the guy that's back there working in the sound booth, the guy at the camera. I'm telling you, none of us have got it. We're not attained. We've not perfected. As Paul said, we are in the process of being made more like Jesus. So we need to be taught by the Holy Spirit. He says, Jesus, in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives it do I give it to you. Oh, listen, it's peace brought by his presence. His spirit brings peace. How many of you have found that his spirit brings peace you didn't know you could have? You used to think you had to find it in a bottle or a man or a woman or work. Uh, but, man, I have settled in on this great truth that you can't find peace like you can find by the presence of God's Spirit living in you. Some of you hear that as a foreign idea. You're like, what is he talking about? And I hope before you leave, I hope unto God you find out. I hope unto God you find out. So we have the provision of his Holy Spirit. Number two, and there's only three. Number two, the provision of the Bible. The provision of the Bible. How does he sustain the house? First, by getting inside of those who make up the house. At salvation, Jesus' spirit, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you. Number two, the spirit takes the word and teaches and guides and directs us. All right? I'm going to tell you a quick story while you're writing. All right? Here's here's what happened a number of years ago. Many of you know that my my grandfather was a pastor for about 43 years. And one time he was, he and and my grandmother and another couple were visiting someone who had visited the church. And so they go in and they, they sit down and she's made coffee and they're just enjoying some fellowship and they're talking back and forth. And the lady says, her little boy comes in, little Johnny comes out of the back, and he's running around like wildfire, you know how they do. And mama says, oh, little Johnny, hey, go get mama's favorite book. And so little Johnny takes off in the background, and they continue to talk, you know. And a little time later, little Johnny, you hear him bumping into some stuff back there and opening drawers, and little Johnny comes running back into the, into the living area where everyone's out, and he says, I got it, mama, I got it, mama. And he runs in, and he slams on the table the Sears and Roebuck catalog. <laughs> now, you see the young people looking at you like, what? You're going to have to get with an older person in the room to tell you what that is, okay? And so what we found out was that in their home, the children knew what had prominence, what was important. Let me say this to you. If you have children, they know your favorite TV show. They know the kind of shows that you like to watch. Uh, Young people, am I right? If I was to ask one of y'all about your parents, what they like to watch, you tell me. Boom, boom, boom. Dad likes this, mom likes that. Boom, boom, boom. But if I was to ask the same young person, hey, what's your dad's favorite book of the Bible? Or your mom. If I was to sit down with a daughter, because mom, you have so much power of shaping your daughter. And if I was to ask your daughter, hey, what's your favorite, what's your mama's favorite book of the Bible? See how that weird, uncomfortable moment hits right there? What if... Rather than being beat down or feeling condemnation, we let the sweet conviction of the Holy Spirit say, you know what, I need to make some adjustments right there. I need to elevate in my home the prominence of the Word of God. Uh, My kids ought to see me reading it. They ought to hear me talking about it. 
Uh, I was at my dear friend, the pastor friend of mine, who did his mama's funeral this week. And I was out in the congregation praying for him because I'm going to tell you something. That is, uh, not everybody gets to experience. That's a very powerful and also hard thing. So I'm out in the congregation praying for him. And he's, he's telling a story about his mama. He said when he was growing up, he, could, he said every night, like clockwork, he could hear the sound of that old wooden drawer opening up. Can you, can you hear it? Just, you know? And he said he could hear his mama's hands fumbling around in that drawer because it was empty. It was only one thing in there. And he said then, just a few minutes after that, he said like clockwork, every night of his childhood, he said he began to hear his mama reading the scripture out loud to his daddy. Now, do you think he ever struggled with inerrancy of the word of God or where the word of God ought to fit in his life? No. There were times he drifted. But it was settled for him by mom and dad, by mom specifically, that the word is of utmost importance. Have you taught your children that? When they get out and face temptation and the lies of the enemy on these, uh, church, on these campuses in their, in their school, how in the world are they ever going to be at, what are they going to do, throw a curveball at, 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 at truth, at temptation? Are they going to get in the corner and get a corner kick and bend it like Beckman when they're facing the temptation of sexual sin or, or what have you? I'll tell you, it won't help them. It's empty. There's nothing there. And so the house gets torn down, and sometimes the tearing down is our children failing out there in temptation because we've not built the house on what God has provided. Now, listen, I'm not saying that to you to make you just, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? Well, hopefully you're going to change. Hopefully today you're going to say, oh, God, I, my goodness, I, I, help me, Jesus. And you're going to fall on his mercy and grace. And you're going to leave out of here. Well, you know what I see happen every week? Leave out of here changed. Not because you're going to try harder. But because now you have the knowledge and you're going to surrender that and say, Lord Jesus, take my life and make a difference. Some of you say, well, my kids are already grown. They're gone. Narrow the gap. Narrow the gap. A man told me one time, I'm in my 70s. What am I supposed to do? I missed all this. I didn't elevate the word of God in my home. I said, narrow the gap. He said, what are you talking about? I said, go first start an apology. He said, he lives in a different state. I said, go see him. Take him to lunch. Look him in the face and say, hey, I'm sorry that I didn't build your life on the foundation of the word of God. I'm sorry. I set you up and set you out to sail with nothing but like being a hard worker. And so I want to narrow the gap. Can we do a Bible study together? Can we share scripture between each other? Can we narrow the gap? It's not over. Narrow the gap. And take your grandchildren and invest in them, great-grandchildren. Build the house. What does he provide? He provided the Holy Spirit. He provided the Bible. I've got some verses. I just want you to write them down for the sake of time. I'm just going to move forward. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. Just write it there in your notes. It talks about, at these words which I command you, this is God in the Old Testament. These words shall be in your heart. And listen to this next part. You shall, y'all reading with me? You shall teach them diligently. That means it's going to take discipline and effort. Diligently to who? Whose children? Your children. You're to teach them to your children. Talk with them when you see. The rest of it talks about it's supposed to be part of your life. Here's a question before we move on. What position, what position of prestige or not does the word of God have in your home? Do they see you reading that Bible, spending time with King Jesus? Do you give them verses sometimes when they have questions? Oh, I pray unto God that we get to that place. Thirdly, thirdly, you're going to love this one. You're going to love this one. So he's provided. How has he sustained the house? Provides the Holy Spirit. Provides the Bible. And he provides. You're reading with me? Well, it's on the overhead now. Provide the provision of the church. So as you're writing, 
Uh, and we're going to look at Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 before we close. And I want to say to you this. One of the greatest changes in my life came when I start, stopped viewing the church as something that I had to do into something that God has provided for me to make me better. You know, you all know what I'm talking about? I remember being the guy that thought, you know, we got to get Riley ready, and I know we're supposed to go to church, you know, and, and you know, and we just go and, and, and hit Sunday morning. Tina, can you remember back that far? Just hit Sunday morning and go home and no discussion about it, you know. Uh, and then maybe next week, depending on what we had going on, you know, well, we probably need to go, you know. When it, when it changed from that to God has provided this to help me grow as a child of God, man, it changed everything. It changed everything. L let me explain what I mean. Three quick ways that the church provides what I need to sustain my home. Number one, they watch out for us. They watch out for us. Okay, see, I told you Ephesians 4. Actually, we're going to look first at Hebrews 13. To watch out for us. Now, we're covering a lot of ground, but you stay with me, all right? Provision of the church. What does it mean to watch out for us? Just what he says in Hebrews 13, 17. Obey those who rule over you. He's talking to the church, talking about spiritual authority, and be submissive. Why would somebody submit to what the preacher's preaching? Why would somebody submit to what their Bible teacher is teaching them? Why would they do that? Why would somebody, if I came to you in private and said, hey, here's the teaching of the word, and you asked me a question, here's the teaching, it's against what you think, why would somebody say, well, you're right, and so I'm going I'm to do it. Why would anybody ever do that? Here's why. They watch out for your souls. You know what your most valuable possession is? It's not your hair. Some of you are acting like it's your hair. That stuff will fall out. Turn gray. Huh? Get brittle. It'll do all kind of stuff. It's not your home. Financially, they'll tell you your biggest asset is your, is your home. Maybe in the temporary things, but here's your most valuable possession, your soul. Wouldn't you want to be gathered somewhere where people are responsible to help guard it? Wouldn't, doesn't it make sense that you want to go somewhere where people don't just say, hey, it's all right, just keep doing what you're doing, to the detriment of your own soul, to the detriment of your children's souls? They just say, that's all right, just keep doing what you're doing. Don't worry about being the man who's leading your family. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about what your kids turn out to. Just enjoy life. Go ahead on. What kind of love is that? But you see, what I told you about in the beginning, he says, he says, he says you, you, you be submissive to their leadership and what they're teaching and preaching, as long as it lines up with the Word of God, of course, for they watch out for your souls. Now listen to the next part of that. Pop that back up there for me so they can read along with me. For they watch out for your souls as those who, I told you, one day I'll stand before them and you won't be there. So for you to say, I don't agree with what you said, it makes me angry, I, I, I mean, I, I love you and I'm, I'm not sorry, I'm praying that you'll come under the authority of the word, not my opinion, but what, what you know came from the word today. But I had to weigh that. You know, create some enemies today, and I've created some enemies, I'm just telling you, it'll, it'll come in the next few days. Or disregard that I'll give an account one day. I could not, listen to me, I couldn't fathom, I couldn't fathom folding this up and saying, call gender whatever you want, call marriage whatever you want. I couldn't fathom that because he's called me and designed me, created me and given me this instruction and I love you enough to give it to you. I hope you'll, I hope you'll take and go with it. So to watch out for us, number two, quickly, we got one more after this, to encourage us. Hebrews 3, 13, but exhort one another daily, 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 while it's called today. At least any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful, it'll lie to you. You need some faith family around you to say, no, 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 go this way, go this way. Or, hey, keep going that way. I can't tell you how powerful encouragement is in my life. You ever have anybody come alongside you and say, hey, listen, I'm praying for you. I believe in you. 
How many have ever had at least one person in your life say, I believe in you, I, I trust, I'm, pr- I'm praying for, whoa, boy, y'all have y'all been hanging out with some rough crowds. Well, come on and get inside of here, amen, and, and let's start sharing that with each other. And by the way, your encouragement is necessary. Another approach to the church we've had is, well, I don't really want to go, and I'm not this, and I'm not that. Well, see, when you came to Jesus, I died. And no longer I who live, but Christ who now lives in me. I now live my life by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So now I come, and I don't just say, what can I get? But like when Sunday night rolls around, and we have another opportunity. By the way, do y'all know, did you know that the lights will be on at 6 o'clock? And the heater air, depending on the current situation outside, will be going. That chair will be waiting for you. This pulpit will be filled if God gives me tonight. And we'll get back into the word of the second half of this message. And you have an opportunity to grow some more and to encourage some more. But see, here's the, here's the, here's the thing. Well, I don't, you know, I don't. Let me tell you something. There's no way under heaven I could go lay on my couch tonight when I know my encouragement might keep somebody else in the race. How can you be all right kicking your feet up, popping popcorn, watching a movie when there may be a soul coming in here that's about to get taught by the deceitfulness of sin that just needs your encouragement, your smile, your hug, your handshake? How in heaven's name are you okay with that? So consider that. It's not a beat down. It's not guilt. It's like, wow, really? Okay, I, I see now. I just needed that. Nobody ever told me that. You have that kind of power. That's what he just said. Encourage, encourage, encourage. So I need your encouragement. You need my encouragement. We need each other's encouragement. Thirdly and finally, to equip us. To equip us. How? Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And he himself gave some to be apostles. This is to the church. Some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. What was the purpose of God gifting people to lead his church? So that they can make all the hospital visits, so that they can do all the soul winning, so that, no, heavens no. So that they, we, could equip, is anybody reading with me? For the equipping of the saints. Now, what's the purpose of equipping the saints? So that you have all the knowledge and know how to share the gospel, know how to make disciples? No, so that you will. For the work of ministry. So you come to be equipped. Now, I know none of us in here, including the pastor, feels like you're equipped enough. So you ought to take the provision of the church as a blessing to help you, work on you, shape you, mold you, encourage you, cheer you on, watch out for you. See, he's given us three things. He's given us the spirit, he's given us the word, and he's given us the church. That our houses will be sustained as the enemy seeks to tear them down. Now this morning, I want you just to bow your head with me for just a moment. Will you do that? Just for a moment. And as you bow your head for just a moment, I want you just to think for a minute about your home. If the Lord builds the house, nobody can tear it down. Now, by show of hands, all right? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. By show of hands. How many in here today would say that you know that, 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 you, that right now, you, you know that the enemy is actively trying to tear down your house? Raise your hand up. Whoa, good night. Okay, all right. You know, acknowledging that is a tremendous step in the right direction. So my question for about 80% of us that raised our hands and those that didn't, you need to know that even though you may not feel it or see it, he is. He is. He's actively working in ways to capture your children's attention and lead them away from him. He's doing all kinds of things. So the question I want to ask the group as we're all just together in this, what are you going to do about it? 
What are you going to do about it? Go check out some self-help books. What are you going to do about it? What if you began right here? If you have had any part in the tearing down, lack of commitment to the Word, lack of commitment to Christ, lack of commitment to the church, if you've had any part of that, what if, what if you started right here in this very sweet spot because it's just between you and the Lord? You started in a place of what I'm going to call confession. Just you and God. You don't come confess that to me. There's only one mediator between God and man, and it is the man Christ Jesus. So what if right now, as you're humbly bowed before him, whether you want to come to the altar or whether you want to do that in your chair, you just humbly bowed before him. And you just said, God, I know I have had some part in the teardown. I know I have. And, and God, I thank you. Listen to me. God, I thank you that you don't hate me for that. I thank you, God, that you've not thrown me out with the trash. I thank you that you're not up there discouraged and disgusted with me. But I want to confess so that you might cleanse and forgive. So I confess I have contributed to the teardown. And it's a good thing for us to be broken. It is. It's a good thing for us to take inventory. But not to wallow in it. Not to stay there. Not to be paralyzed by regret. But instead, but instead, as we confess, then we say, Lord, now I'm going to trust you to transform my thinking and therefore my living. Would you pray something like that? God, transform my thinking and therefore my living. There's some young people in here, and I'm telling you, the onslaught that you are facing in social media, in, in the school systems, and with the government, I'm telling you, you are a high-priority target. So I'm going to ask the adult in the room, all the adults in the room, to right now pray one specific prayer. Pray for our young people. Would you do that? Would you pray right now that God would protect their minds and their hearts from all of the lies that are thrown their way? Would you just pray that over them right now? Now, if you're here and You've never invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. And when you heard me talk about being a child, it was a foreign thing to you. Can I tell you, there's no better time than right now. If you feel the tugging at your heart, if you believe that Christ died for you and rose again, if you would, in fact, vacate the throne of your heart and invite Jesus on, just like Miss Tammy did this, this morning, he'll save you. He will save you. He'll come live inside you and begin a work like you can't even fathom. Come to Jesus today. Surrender to Him. His death and resurrection paid it all. If you're here today and your, your home is in ruin, in need of repair, can I remind you, He's a master. He's the master of mending and repairing and rebuilding. Somebody this morning, right now, needs to just say to God, God, we need, we needed our house a rebuild. If that's you, would you slip your hand up? Nobody else can see it. We just we need to rebuild, God. We need to rebuild. Reboot, rebuild. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. God, please do a work right now in this moment. Father, I pray that you would stir and direct. And in this time of response, your people would have freedom to spend time at the altar with you. To say yes to whatever you're asking and beckoning us to do. 
Father, I pray you'd bind the enemy whose lies try to put chains on us and make us feel like the worst thing that ever happened. Speak to every heart in here. Let them know how much you love them, God, how you desire the best for them. So we ask you to take this time of response and move accordingly in Jesus' name.